Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. So today's scripture reading is um, from Colossians 4.1, and on the screen you will see Matthew 20 from last week, just to give you a reminder. Um, so Colossians 4.1, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, thanks be to God. So if you weren't with us last week, um, not only did you get hard rock in the welcome video, uh, you also, we uh, started into this journey of what would Jesus do? Looking at what Jesus would do if uh, Jesus were put in positions that we often find most of our time spent. Because I did the calculation, and if you are kind of a super invested time-wise um, church member, just in terms of worship and small group and, and maybe youth group or something like that, you're generally spending 1.7 to 2% of your entire week um, in church activities. So 98% of the time you're either asleep or doing something else. And we're looking at those something else situations. And last week it was, well, what would Jesus do in the workplace? Uh, but it was from a very specific angle of what would it look like to be on a team or what would it look like to be an employee in a workplace? And if you weren't here last week, what you didn't hear was when I said the word executive, you responded with, oh, like they were just the worst. And I think it's interesting in, in the scripture that I, that I picked out for this specific, and what does the Bible say in this situation? You know, I picked one that has a little bit of a controversial connotation with that slavery uh, imagery in there of masters and slaves, but that's the reaction I think I heard from you was, oh my gosh, these slave drivers, the ones I hate. And then I started thinking about who is in our congregation. You're all bosses and executives. Not everybody, but there's a lot of people that own their own business or had a management role, and maybe they weren't the upper manager, but they still had employees under you. So next sermon series, we're going to talk about why do you not like yourselves, um, is what we'll talk about. And why are you groaning at the work that you do? I do want to just offer a word of grace for those people who are in the executive role or in the management role. Those people who have employees under them who received the groans with grace last week that you know that there's a stereotype of American executives where you are flying private, sitting on golden toilets and having a $30 million bonus at the end of the year. That's not everybody. No joke, right? <laughs> if that is you, I will be available after church to talk about some things. <laughs> right? I, I just want to offer a word of grace because you receive the groans because it's a hard job. We assume, or at least there's a stereotype, that when you get promoted to that level that everything becomes easier. But I, I never imagined being any kind of CEO-type role. When I, every associate pastor that you will ever meet on some level, whether I want to admit it or not, has a file that they keep mentally or physically 
that is everything I would do different than the current senior pastor when I become a senior pastor. Everyone who's a mid-level executive has a file that they keep that says what I would do differently than my boss when I finally become the boss. And then when I became a senior pastor, I had that file and I quickly shredded it because I realized I didn't know a thing about anything. So I recognize that when your job performance is evaluated based on other people's job performance, when you have different personalities that you have to coalesce into a well-functioning team and unit toward a common goal with different work styles and communication styles, when you're the one who has to stay up at night and lose sleep because there's hard news to deliver, that's a hard spot to be in. And so I want you to receive the groans with grace knowing that it's a hard role. I didn't realize that until I stepped into this role. It's a hard role to be in. But it also provides an immense opportunity to shape the world and show Christ to those who are in your corporation or in your company. And so as I unpack uh, Colossians here, I, I want to understand that that language is in Colossians, masters and slaves, and I think that's still a little bit of the mindset in which we carry with us because no one wants to feel like we are the master. We don't want to feel like we're the slave. And it's also an example of where the Bible has 100% the wisdom of God, but where in the contextual, uh, the contextual setting in which this letter was sent, there's a little problematic for us today. And how many of y'all have ever read through the Bible and you've just been reading through and you kind of see some wording in there and you're thinking, oh, that's not exactly what I expected to read. Like you don't expect to read through Colossians and expect that Paul would tacitly accept that slavery is just a part of life. And so Colossians 4.1 is not necessarily a one-to-one -one correlation, but where we bring in some of Paul's other discussion around slavery, that's where we find the wisdom of God and where the masters treat your slaves justly and fairly is really going to take off for us today. And so I want to bring in what, what Pastor Carrie Lynn brought in children's time, this letter to Philemon that is um, uh, some, a slave who stole essentially from Onesimus. Or, or Onesimus is the slave that stole from Philemon. And in Philemon, you've got this scripture, because um, everything's in the first chapter, verse 15 to 16. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. And, and Paul would go on to write, or would write before that, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and me. So in Philemon, what we see is Paul's kind of anti-slavery take on this. And that in Christ, because Onesimus has been baptized and brought to Christ by Paul in prison, that Paul seems to actually have a relationship with Philemon on some level. And he's writing saying that no longer can you treat this person as your property. No longer can you treat this person as some kind of expendable thing to throw away. This is a person. This is a child of God. This person is a brother in Christ now. And so you have to take him back forever. You have to forgive him. But here's the thing is formerly he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful both to you and me. The name Onesimus actually means useful. And there's a play in the Greek that's euchristo, euchristos is useful in Greek, but Paul takes it as euchristos, which is good in Christ. And so Paul here is telling us that Onesimus is no longer just a piece of property. That we can't look at this man as something expendable that he is Onesimus. He is useful. 
He is a child of God. And he is somebody to be accepted and welcomed as a brother in Christ. Now, I want to say very clearly that the reason that Onesimus was not seen as useful beforehand is not because he wasn't baptized and not because he wasn't a Christian. It's because Philemon was sinful. Philemon was looking at Onesimus wrongly. It wasn't some transformation in Christ that makes someone useful. Everybody is useful. Because God has created everybody and the Holy Spirit is moving in everybody's lives. We talked about with the prevenient grace. It's not because he wasn't a Christian. It's because Philemon was not looking at it the right way. And there's this power dynamic between Onesimus and Philemon, though, that's hard to manage. Because last week, the message for employees was, well, we want to uplift those on our team, and we're working toward a cooperative goal together within the company, and so everybody's role is valued. But there's this power dynamic that exists between Philemon and Onesimus. Even though they are brothers in Christ, and Galatians tells us that there is no distinction between slave nor free, nor Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female, there's all one in Christ Jesus, there is still a worldly power dynamic, and that's going to exist. Because we need visionaries, and we need leaders, and we need people to manage the entire equation. We need people to uh, steer people in the, everybody in the same direction. But we even see, I mean, we see Paul who has this power dynamic over Philemon in which he can write to Philemon and say, you ought to do this, right? If I go, if, let's say one of you owns a Target, and I walk into Target, there is a little bit of a power dynamic in which you own the store and I am buying something from the store and I have to have the right money to do that. Now, if you come in here, there's a little bit of a power dynamic because I've been given a stole and title of senior pastor and on some level, now not everybody listens to everything I say, clearly. Just kidding. But there's a little bit of a power dynamic. Those exist in different places in different times, and we weave in and out of those, and we see the same power dynamic in Scripture. Onesimus is always going to have a power dynamic with Philemon, and Philemon is always going to have a power dynamic with Paul, who is above him as a mentor spiritual figure. But what's so great about Paul is what he writes in Romans 1.1 about slavery. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of Christ. And... Um, it, it, well, it goes on into saying, and I, I didn't put it in there, but he says that he is a slave to Christ. The New Revised Standard Version and more modern translations translate that as a servant to Christ because they want to clean up the language because slavery is obviously offensive, and I hope that you believe that. But the actual Greek of the language says slave to Christ. When Paul looks at his power dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no question that he is going to be serving Jesus. There is no question that he's going to be called out to go and plant all these churches. He doesn't feel like he has a choice because Jesus is so high above him and so masterful above him and that he is willing to submit everything that he has and give everything he has. He's willing to be a slave in that language to everything that Jesus would bring to him. Servants connotate something different. And again, right, slavery is wrong. This is where the Bible gets problematic. But the language that Paul is using is pretty revolutionary. Because in that world, and sometimes in our world, to tell masters that they had to treat their slaves as justly and fairly is probably the most revolutionary thing to tell masters that these people were not just property and tools to be expended, but they were actually people, and not only people, but they are children of God and brothers in Christ. 
Can you imagine? Go back to Plantation, Georgia, and tell that master that the slave that they've just bought is a true brother in Christ, and there is no distinction between the two. And how do you think that goes over? And now go to the boss and tell them that the custodian or any employee under them is equal in Christ, a brother or sister in Christ. I cannot tell you how revolutionary it is. Paul does, you know, even though Paul is using just every day, he's assuming it's part of life, I cannot tell you how revolutionary it is in the Gospels, in the letters of Paul, that he addresses the masters and not just the slaves. Because he tells the slaves to be obedient, but he tells the masters that you have to treat your slaves with justice and fairness. And that is a big change in the world and the one that we still struggle with. But I'll tell you, there are corporations that are getting it right, or at least they're trying to get it right. There are corporations and bosses and executives all out in the United States that are trying to do their best to understand that power dynamic of where they sit. If you are Paul, you have a power dynamic over Philemon, but you are under Jesus Christ. And because you're under Jesus Christ, in that role of an executive or boss, you have an opportunity to shape everybody else's life with the love of Christ and with the justice of the kingdom of God. One example that is the obvious example, because it's Jesus' favorite fast food restaurant, is Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A has, uh, the, at the very core values of the top two, we are purpose-driven, right? We're not just out to sell chicken sandwiches, and we're not just out to make a whole bunch of money. They do, but their goal is they are purpose-driven. They are here to make an impact in their community and in their world, and we are good stewards of the resources we have. Now, Chick-fil-A is one of the best fast food restaurants or even corporations of helping their employees move up the corporate ladder at the company's expense and even pay for their college on some level so that maybe they can work higher up in Chick-fil-A or maybe they go get a different job. Whatever it is, we're caring for the people that work for us. You know how much money Chick-fil-A could make if they opened up on Sundays? You know how many churches would cater chicken nuggets to every church event that they ever had? But they don't. And the stated reason on their website is, we believe that our, our team members should have a day to go worship with their families and a day of rest, just like everybody else. Barry Eller told me about IBM's uh, corporate values uh, last week. We got done and, and Barry said, you know, IBM used to have this, this kind of three-tiered way of talking about things. They said, if you take care of the employees, the employees will take care of customers, and the customers will take care of profit. And it's this entire, entire, center, uh, entire center of philosophy of thinking where all of a sudden it's not that we are driving employees to create profit and the customers are just even useful in there. It is we are caring for people along the way, and when you care for people along the way, it motivates them to care for the people who are caring for them. I looked up um, Interstate Batteries is located here in Dallas. Their mission statement, to glorify God and enrich lives as we deliver the most trustworthy source of power to the world. There are people who are looking out for their employees, and this is the blessing that we have if you are somebody who is an executive, manager, boss-type role, is that you get to be an intermediary in that power dynamic, knowing, and this is where we forget, is that no matter how high up you are in a corporation, there is always one higher than you, and his name is Jesus. 
But the way Jesus uses his power, if you look at Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. I don't know who here may have read any of Simon Sinek's work. Um, Simon Sinek's kind of a leadership guru for corporations. The Infinite Game is one that just gave me revelations about leadership. But he writes another book called Leaders Eat Last. Essentially, to just tell you the entire thesis of the book, is that to lead is to serve. And then if you are a leader, you are in the wrong if you ever put your own interests above the interests of your team members. That your job as a leader is to look at the team members and say, how can they, super pa how can they pass what I've been able to do? Because if they pass what I've been able to do, then the corporation exceeds what I've been able to do just by myself. And then I'm looking out for their future and their family's future. And your job as a leader is to eat last. Your job as a leader is to serve those who are ultimately serving the interests of the corporation that you lead or the corporation that you own. And so by servant leadership, as Christ did for us, we point people in the direction of then going on and serving fully in their own capacity. We help people not only stand on their own two feet, but excel and exceed to a life that maybe they've not even imagined. If you're an executive, if you're a leader, if you're a manager, you are the gatekeeper to joy. You are the gatekeeper to excellence. You are the gatekeeper to promise and, and prosperity for so many people. You are the gatekeeper to a world in which you are told you are useful. And that's not a message everybody receives every day at their workplace. You are the gatekeeper of God's message that you are useful or that everybody in your team is useful. And so if you're in management, we have some important questions to ask. What am I doing each day to let my team members know that they are useful? What are we doing each day to ask, how can this person surpass what I've been able to achieve? But then matters of Paul saying, treat your workers with justice and fairness. We have to ask, is it okay if our employees can't afford affordable housing versus what we have? As I said before, being an executive, being a manager, being a leader is hard. It is hard because you are evaluated based on other people. But James chapter 3, verse 1, also says that few people should become teachers. Few people should become leaders because leaders are judged more harshly. Because it is very easy once you feel like you've made it to just stop and feel like you've made it. But if you are blessed to be a purveyor of God's power and God's love in the position that you are in your workplace, it also means you have questions of how your employees' lives are going. It also means you have questions of what the world is shaped like and who has what. It also means that you are responsible for not only the love that they feel, but the life that they have. And that is an awesome privilege and an awesome responsibility. And so I wonder if you're a leader in any capacity. Are you Philemon? Or are you Paul? 
Do you recognize, are you, are you looking as the people who are working with you as property? Or are you Paul? And do you recognize that no matter how high up you are, you serve the one who is higher than anybody? And our job, first and foremost, is to introduce people to the one with all the power, who gave it all away, to die for their sins, to resurrect to eternal life, and to give everybody the opportunity to have their own power. It is a privilege to hold that gateway. It is a privilege to share that love. And so are we Philemon, or are we Paul? Let's pray. Gracious God, for the awesome opportunity we have to lead those around us, Maybe they are our grandchildren or our children. Maybe they are the kids on our soccer team. Maybe they are a thousand employees that we are responsible for. Maybe they are simply those in our neighborhood who see how we behave. Lord God, we recognize we stand as an intermediary between um, your love and those around us. We recognize that you said in your Gospel of John that um, they will know we are your disciples by our love. And God, we have been commanded to treat each other with justice and fairness. And so may we never look at anybody as a means to our ends. May we never look at anybody as property or an asset. May we look at those who work for us and who follow us as useful, as people, as brothers and sisters in your love. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.